0: I'm going to look at a story this morning that you're all probably familiar with, and it's a story of Hosea. This is a particular challenge for me because just a few months ago, we went through Hosea in our Bible study, and uh, we did that probably for four or five weeks, and I've got 20 minutes, 30 minutes to narrow it down, and I thought, what would I tell you about Hosea, especially if you already know the story of Hosea? And uh, I believe that God has shown me a few things, and I hope that um, hope that He'll show you a few things as well. Uh, let's pray before we begin. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for the opportunity that, that we have to gather around the table and to recognize you for who you are, uh, to remember what you've done for us. Thank you that you love us anyway. And that's not free reign on on sin that's not um living any way we want to we know that there's responsibilities with grace we know that there's responsibilities with with associating ourselves with jesus christ and i pray that you would remind us of those things today father as we look at the story the life and times of hosea i pray that you would open our eyes open our hearts most importantly god uh, show us a mirror Allow us to look honestly and for as long as it takes into our own life. In Christ, I pray. Amen. You know, sometimes it's easy to see the faults in others before it is to see it in yourself, right? Right? No, that's not true. It's not sometimes. It's all the time, right? I mean, I can see your faults a long time before I can see my own. I thought uh, that I would bring a big life-size mirror in here, and I didn't get a chance to grab one, but if I had a mirror and I was taking time to walk across and allow you to look in the mirror, that's just an image of who you are. Who you really are is someone deep within yourself, right? In other words, we only see surface level. Those of us in our Bible study this morning, we were talking about the anointing of David, the calling of David, and you'll remember that text. For those of you who weren't in our Bible study, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 16, and verse 7 says, God doesn't look like we do. He doesn't look on the outward appearance, does he? He looks at the heart. Wouldn't it be great if we were able to see, right? I've had people say, uh, just recently, there was a radio station, a local radio station that asked, If you were a superhero, what power would you choose? And they were talking about stuff like, uh, people in my generation, we think of the bionic man. Anybody know the bionic man, right? Or or you think like, uh, I I can run really fast. Or the thing that struck me, the the most strange thing that came, and, and, and I guess it's not so strange, but it was strange at the time. I thought, this person said, if I could see everything. If I could see the very core of who you are. Some of you are shaking your head like, "Uh uh-uh. That's not really a gift, is it? In fact, it would be awful scary. And yet, God looks upon the individual's heart. That includes motives. That includes skill set. That includes everything they are, right? The heart is the core, the center of who you are. At least that's what the Jews believe, and I think that's what Scripture says, right? The heart, the very core of who you are. We're not talking about a muscle in your chest. We're talking about who you are intrinsically, your DNA included. But, but what are your motivations, right? It's where love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and All those things the Bible talks to us about, the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody know that text from Galatians, right? That's where those things reside, right? fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in the heart, the very core of who you are. Not because of who you are, but because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I really believe it's an act of grace that God doesn't give us the ability to see everything as he sees. Because if I saw everything that he saw, number one, I probably wouldn't be here. And number two, you surely wouldn't be here. And I think it's true for you as well. There are certain graces that God gives us that we don't realize unless we really think about it. What are you thankful for? I mentioned kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek last week about people getting really spiritual around the month of November. You know, 31 Days of Thankfulness, anybody remember that part of the conversation? Let me just ask you, not to name 31 things, or 5 things, or 3 things, but don't you think it's strange that we become very thankful around Thanksgiving, and chances are not so thankful around the rest of the year, right? And maybe we're not as thankful if we're on the prayer list, right? Or maybe we're not as thankful if we're not eating at the right places that we want to eat at, or we don't like the the food that's being served, or we don't like the car that we drive, or do you follow what I'm saying, right? We are not as thankful as we should be. And we don't recognize the blessings that God gives us. You know why that is, don't you? We're selfish. We're fleshly individuals. This is not a new problem. This is a recurring problem, right? It goes on and on and on. As I mentioned this morning in our Bible study, above all else, the heart is desperately wicked. That's what it says in Jeremiah, and he's not talking about just the Israelites' heart. He's talking about your heart and my heart. Above all else, the heart is desperately wicked, and it's selfishness, it's pride, it's laziness, or slothfulness, as the old ancients used to say. It's all these things that reside in our flesh, as opposed to all these things we've talked about, the fruit of the Spirit. This is not a new problem, right? If you know your Old Testament, if you you haven't seen it in Judah and Tamar, if you haven't seen it in all these Old Testament characters that we've talked about so far, my prayer is that you'll see it in the life and times of Hosea this morning. You all know Hosea. You probably know the, the story of Hosea, right? And the reason Hosea has been called by God to be a prophet is because prophets tell the truth. Amen? Yes? Yeah, you don't like the prophets. If you're an Old Testament Israelite, you don't like the prophets. Why? Because prophets tell the truth. Right? We've talked about this in recent weeks. They tell the truth. And most people, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, most people don't like the truth. They just want to be comfortable. Years ago when I was in law enforcement, and uh, there were times that I would arrest people and take them to jail, one of the first things we did was make a criminal complaint. And a criminal complaint outlined what they did. The reason they're in jail is because, and you would have to go to this individual that you just arrested and said, you're arrested because you didn't pay your child support. You're arrested because you were a thief. You're arrested because, fill in the blank. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? It's a criminal complaint. Eventually you go to magistrate court, or you go to, some, some courts have a, a place where you go in front of a jury of individuals, and they decide whether there's enough evidence to pass it on to the courts. You follow what I'm saying? And it's called an indictment. Anybody know what I mean when I say an indictment? It's an accusation for this is who you are, this is what you've done, and this is why it's wrong. This is who you are, this is what you've done, and this is why it's wrong. You know what a prophet's message is, Kevin? This is who you are, This is what you've done, and this is why it's wrong. You follow what I'm saying? And the reason the people that didn't like the prophets was they didn't want to hear. This is who you are. This is what you've done, and this is why it's wrong. Right? This is Hosea. Hosea is called by God. Notice in Hosea chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, the Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Josiah, the king of Israel. Now that just kind of sets a scene for us, right? We know, if you know your Old Testament history, you know there's some sin throughout the camp, so to speak, right? Whether you're in Israel in the north or you're in Judah in the south, there is sin that's prevalent throughout, not just the Gentiles, not just people groups that are outside God's will, but also within God's people. And God gets so frustrated as he's done time and time again, i.e., Noah and the flood, right? Why does the flood occur? Because of sin, right? Um, And over and over again throughout the scriptures, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament alike, we realize that God, in a way, uh, in a sense, says time and time again, enough is enough. You guys know that, right? And this is a story of God saying, enough is enough. But he doesn't destroy them as he does with the people in Noah's day, does he? He doesn't send them into bondage in Egypt for 400 years like he's done in the past, does he? You see, over and over, I mean, think about this for just a second. God is such a loving God. He wants a relationship with you. Chew on that for a second. God loves you, right? Yeah. It should bring a smile to your face. God loves you. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. And I'm not being harsh, I'm just telling you the truth. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And if it's true that I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, and everyone in this place and everyone in this world is a sinner, we are worthless. We deserve death. Paul is very clear about that in the New Testament, right? We deserve death. We don't deserve anything else other than destruction, but God. That's the gospel, right? But God. But God loved the world so much that he gave, right? And what did he give? The ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, his own son. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, as we've talked about, Week in, week out, right? The gospel centers on Jesus Christ. You are a sinner. You are in need of a Savior. The good news is God has provided that ultimate sacrifice, that Savior, and He's not just your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. But that requires something from you. In other words, when you walk down the aisle, when you agree to take the name of Christian or follower of Jesus Christ, you on the dotted line that you're not just escaping judgment, eternal judgment. You're not just escaping the fire of hell, right? You're not just escaping this eternal damnation that the Scripture speaks about. You're not, well, what are you signing your name for? What are, you, what are you agreeing to do? You're agreeing to associate your life, remember we talked about you being worthless, with one who has the greatest value that you could ever imagine. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and make him your master. Associate your life with him, make him your master, and do what he says. And what did he say? He said, follow me, right? And so what did he do? He even went to the cross. He served. Can we say he served, right? That's a kind of love that's unmatched among people I know. It's something that I'm trying to figure out, but I can't quite get my mind around that. I can't quite understand the value that God places upon my life. Now, why am I saying all this? This is a recurring theme. Hear me, church. This is a recurring theme. God loves you. God wants relationship with you. God loves you. God wants relationship with you. God loves you. God wants relation. When we sing songs, you may pick it up in the words, "God loves you." God wants relationship with you. When you open the scriptures, and it says more than just "For God so loved the world," but right, over and over again, the message is God loves you, despite who you are and despite what you've done, and He wants relationship with you. The other side of that coin. You continue to reject him. Right? You continue to reject the relationship that God offers. God makes the invitation, and you continue to reject that invitation. How do I know that? Because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're filled with flesh, we don't just brush up against sin, do we? No, we don't brush up against sin. That's not what Scripture says. You know what Scripture says? Remember, above all else, the heart is desperately wicked. What's the heart? It's not a muscle in your chest. It's what? The very core of who you are. You don't brush up against sin. You're permeated by sin. And so when God reaches out and wants a relationship with you, it's not that He needs anything, right? God doesn't need anything. But He wants, He desires relationship with you. And he wants relationship with me. And the story of Hosea is God wants relationship with his people. God wants relationship with the Israelites. God wants relationship with the prophets. God wants relationship with every individual in the world. In fact, he wants so much that he died on the cross. And the Israelites, and the prophets even, and the people of God, to include you and I, Continue to reject that relationship. That's not a very encouraging message, is it? That's the truth. That's what we find here when we have Israel in the north, Judah in the south. God is going to say, enough is enough, and I'm going to let the Gentiles, mind you, and you know who the Gentiles are. If you're an Old Testament Jew, who are the Gentiles? They're the dogs. They're the pagans. They're the people that don't know God at all, right? And God's going to use those dogs to come in and to overthrow our government and to take us off into captivity because then we may turn back to God. Because then we may realize how much of a good and loving God that we need. Because then when we come back and we fall at His feet and we repent of our wickedness, God is there to receive us. That's the gospel. So I'm going to read a text here that um, the metaphor is pretty strong. Hear what a scripture says in Hosea beginning in verse 2. You've already seen it. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of The NIV says a prostitute, right? Same thing. Go take for yourself, you're you're a man of God, you're a prophet of God, and the call upon your life, Hosea, is you're going to go and you're going to marry a prostitute. I should say, as a kind of a side note here, that this is not just historical narrative. You know what I mean when I say historical narrative? In other words, this is not just a... True story. It is a true story, but I want you to see the layers, right? The rabbis would understand that there's a layer upon layer upon layer. I think I've talked about that before in here. There's layer upon layer. So this is not just a historical narrative. This is not just something you read in the history books of the Israelites. There's also a metaphor included in that, and that is this God, who is represented by Hosea, is faithful. And Gomer, we'll find out, her name is Gomer, the prostitute that he marries, right? Represents us. Now you may be thinking, no, no, wait a minute, that's the Israelites, right? No, I'm here to tell you, you, you are the unfaithful one. You are the one that Scripture speaks about. This is not just a them, right? I think all too often we in the New Testament, we as New Testament Christians, are quick to look back at the Old Testament, right? We look back at the Old Testament, or we look at the New Testament even. We look at the Philistines. Let me show you a mirror, and you're like, ah, I'm, not gonna, I'm not interested in looking at myself, but I want to see the fault in others. The Philistines, the Egyptians, the Gentiles. We're quick to do that. But I'm here to tell you that Hosea represented, represents God, and Gomer, the faithless one, the one who continues to be unfaithful, Represents you and I. Isn't that amazing? Well, let me show you what I'm talking about, right? So when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a prostitute, a wife of whoredom, and not just take a wife, not just marry a prostitute, but have children. Does that strike anybody as strange? If this person's going to be unfaithful to you, Why would you ever subject yourself to that kind of abuse? If God tells the man of God, the prophet of God, oh, by the way, this wife that you're going to go find, she is never going to be faithful. And yet I want you to marry her and not just marry her, but have children with her. I mean, this this is on another level of love, isn't it? For the land commits great, by forsaking the Lord. There's the indictment. You hear that? Remember, the indictment is: here's who you are, here's what you've done wrong, and here's why it's wrong. And the indictment according to Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, is the land. You know, the Israelites lived in a very agricultural society. And so when it says the land, what does it mean? It means everything, right? That means everything that walks upon the land and the land itself. That means when we plant crops, guess what's going to happen? Even the crops are going to not turn out like they should. Right? Sin permeates everything. And so when it says even the land right, is filled with this nastiness, that sounds pretty simple. I, I, can't, I can't even get my head around what happens that. We know the effects of sin. But I don't know that we appreciate uh, the thing that leads us away from God. Enough. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel when he has a child. Verse 4. For just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdoms of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Here's who you are. Here's what you 've done, and here 's what 's wrong with what you 've done, therefore there's going to be judgment this is a This is a judge passing judgment on people who should know better, and that judgment is is he 's going to use the israelites he 's going to use the assyrians he 's going to use the Babylonians, and they 're going to be allowed to come in and take the Israelites, take the people of God off into captivity. Now you may be thinking, but I thought it said in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 and through 3 that all peoples to include the Israelites will be blessed through Abraham's lineage, which we all know is Jesus Christ. And that's true, you would be right. But every time that God makes a covenant with his people, you guys know what I mean by covenant? It's not just a promise or a promise with conditions. It's much more than that, much greater than that. So every time God makes a covenant with his people, God says, I'm going to be faithful, will you? And the answer is, I'm going to try, right? The answer is no, if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with each other, right? If you're honest, most importantly, with God. The answer is no. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, I know some of you are going through Romans in your Bible study on Sunday mornings. Paul would say, you cannot keep the law. So why is the law given to us? Because the law is given to us so that you will understand how much you need a Savior. The law is provided to people so they will understand how, what sin does. That they are all sinners. That you can't. But the good news is God, God can and God has. Can I ask you this morning, um, what's the idol in your life? That's that's the indictment, right? Everything is permeated by idolatry. That's the reason they're going to be carried off to Assyria. That's the reason they're going to be carried off to Babylon, right? It's idolatry. Anything more important than God is an idol. Now here again, we in the West, we often think of idols as being pieces of wood, pieces of stone. Those may be idols, right? And they were definitely idols in the Old Testament times. But there are idols that are much, at least appeal to the eye better than a piece of wood or a piece of stone. You follow what I'm saying? Anything more important than God is an idol. My kids, my grandkids, my job, my bank account, my possessions, my church, my religion. You follow what I'm saying? Forgive me, those of you who've been to our Wednesday night Bible study um, in recent weeks. Let me give you an example um, this is not what we worship. This is not what we worship. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the one the Bible speaks about. Do You hear the difference? One's an idol, and one is Jesus. Right? This speaks about Jesus, but I hope you understand what I'm talking about. There, there are good things, there are bad things, there are neutral things, but they become idols. They become more important than God. And over and over and over again, God says, enough is enough. And he does it here with Hosea. You may be thinking, well, you're making a big deal about it. I'm making a big deal about it because God says it's a big deal. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All of us. Oh, come on. My grandmother was pretty spiritual, right? No, all of us. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. All of us are in need of a Savior. That Savior being Jesus Christ, right? Your kids can't save you. The money in your bank account can't save you. Your possessions can't save you. There's nothing that can save you from yourself other than Jesus Christ. The reason that God had to go to the cross is because we are all worshipers of idols. We are the prostitute. We are the faithless one. We are the one that continues to be unfaithful, and yet God in His rich mercy, as Scripture says, reaches out to us over and over and over again, wanting relationship with us. Wow. Look over at chapter 6, if you will. What, what would I say to them, God, that they don't already know? What, how can I remind them? You know, one of the things I think we do as we gather around this table every week and we remember God's faithfulness And we receive forgiveness and we recognize that we are not living up to our end of the bargain. I think sometimes we just need to remind each other of how good God is, not just in November. If you recognize your blessings today, if you recognize how good God is today, why wouldn't you do it on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or a Saturday or a Friday or when you're on the cancer list or any other time? Here's some of that from Hosea chapter 6. This cycle. You're a sinner. God's going to judge. Now repent. Now turn around. And so they get it for a while, and then we fall back into the same old trap. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. I want to pay close attention to verse 6. But listen to what it says. Come, let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us that He may heal us. In other words, He's judged us but know that God is not a God that's going to, God wants the best for us. God's going to heal us, but we also have responsibility, right? For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. If you know the Old Testament history, you know in 722, the people of Israel were taken off into captivity. In 586, the people of Judah, who should have known better, who should have seen their neighbors to the north and said, we're not going down that path, right? They don't They don't learn from it. and They do the same thing. But in 5.16, God is faithful and He's true to His Word. And we have a Gentile king who signs a decree allowing the Israelites to go home. Is that because the Israelites are special? No, it's because the Israelites serve a special God. In fact, the only God. You will never do your part, and God always does His part. Isn't that the definition of grace? You will never do your part, and God loves you anyway. That's called agape love. Love despite you, God loves you anyway. That's the gospel. And so it goes on to say, after two days He will revive us. On the third day He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. You hear that? We've talked before about what it means to know the Lord. Not know about the Lord, but know the Lord intimately, right? His going out as sure as the dawn. He will come out to us as the showers, as a spring rains that waters the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? O people of Hillcrest, O Mike Crow, O fill your name in the bank. What, what shall I do with you? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. That's the indictment. Therefore I have honed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire, pay attention, verse 6, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. You can't be religious enough to get into heaven. It says it here, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God is greater than burnt offerings. mean, Let that sink in for a second. What does He want? He wants us to know Him. Not know about Him. He wants us to know Him intimately. He wants us to know Him. If we know Him, don't you think He'll take care of us? I mean, I could prove it to you over and over again. And you probably don't need this. You can probably reflect on your own life and realize how God has come through time and time and time again, right? Despite who you are. If you haven't figured it out by now, there's nothing we have to offer, and yet he loves us continually. So let me ask you this morning, before we move on quickly, do you know God? I'm not talking about, are you religious? I'm not talking about, do you know the 66 books of the Bible? I'm not, I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, do you know God? And by the way, to know somebody, you're going to spend time with them. Not just on a Sunday morning, but how much do you pray? How much do you get in his word? Do you know God? I think that changes everything. And that's what He wants. One other thing. Keep turning. Chapter 14. The steadfast love. It's not about anything that we have to offer. It's not about possessions, abilities, circumstances, worldly wisdom. No. Knowledge of God. And again, in chapter 14, God casts the line. If you don't know the book of Hosea, by the way, um, it is the cycle. It is Hosea, representative of God. Marion Gomer, prostitute, Israelite, you and me. She goes and does what she does, and Hosea continues to pray to God that God would change her heart. And eventually, she finds herself in a bad place, and she repents. "Quote unquote," repents. So you don't understand what I'm talking about? Quotation marks because she repents, right? It's, it's all you. You guys have seen me do this before, right? If this is the path of God, if I'm on the path of God, a prostitute. A faithless person is going the opposite direction, right? And God reaches out to her and asks her to shove to return, to, to turn around and go the other direction. And she does from time to time throughout the book of Hosea, right? She turns around and Hosea thinks that God has answered his prayer and they've, they've reconciled and they've gotten back together and things are good, right? And everything's. And then she turns around and she does it again. You see what's happening? It, it's a picture of our life, is it not? Well, here in chapter 14, we we see this one more appeal, one more appeal to God's people. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. That's the word shuv, Brandon. We've talked a lot, Brandon and I have talked a lot. Some of you have been been in Bible studies where we've talked about the word shuv, S-H-U-V in the Hebrew. It's this idea of, hey, just come home. I was having a conversation one time with a good friend and We were talking about sin, and I think Greg mentioned Romans 7 this morning in our Bible study. You you guys know the Romans 7 text, right? Where Paul says, things I do, I don't want to do. The the things I keep on doing, those are the things I keep on doing. Then he goes, what a wretched man I am, right? That's what he says, what a wretched man I am. So, my friend and I, we were having this conversation about sin and, and, and thinking about that text in Romans chapter 7 and going, Man, we are, we are wretched people, right? Why would God even take the time of day to do what he does? Why does he continue to reach out to us? He doesn't need anything, but why does he continue to reach out to us and love on us? And, and one of the things he said, he said, you know, it sounds too simple when we say we're in sin, we're caught in sin. And he said, we just say, stop it. Well, you can't stop it. You're a sinner. So you are. You've been permeated with sin. That's the effects of original sin. And it's not just Adam and Eve, or Cain and Abel, or follow the lineage, right? Get to your lineage, and it's not just about the Gentiles, or it's not just about the Jews, or it's not just about the people that put Jesus on the cross. It's about you. It's about me. And we can join with Paul saying, what a wretched person I am, but God. And He's asking them. He's pleading with them. He's begging them. Hey, if you'll just come home, if you'll just understand what I'm calling to you, then all this other stuff will go away. Man, you want peace? Associate yourself with Jesus Christ. You want victory? Associate yourself with Jesus Christ. How many of you, how many of you are stubborn? Yeah. All right. Hard-headed? You know what I'm talking about, right? The Israelites, us. He's imploring us, right? Return, O Israel. Shove to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your sin, your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all my iniquity, except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria can't save us. That's the Gentiles that are about to take them off into bondage. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more. Our God, the work of our hands, and you, the orphan, finds mercy. God speaks now in verse four, and here's what He says: "I will heal." There's a great word picture here in Hebrew. Um, it occurs over and over again in the Book of Isaiah. The, the metaphor is there's this this cutting, this this wound, and and God shows up with a salve, you know, this medicine that He places on the wound. That's what healing takes place. And it says here in verse 4, I will heal their wretchedness. I will heal their apostasy. I will heal their rebellion. I will declare from the cross, if you will, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It is finished. Is that not love? I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath My shadow once again. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon." I'm always going to be faithful. I'm always waiting for you to come home. I'm always waiting for you to respond. I'm always waiting for you to be healed. In closing, let me remind you of John chapter 13. You guys know John chapter 13 where Jesus gets up from the table and He begins to wash the feet of the apostles. Can you think of a more humbling text? I mean, these 12 ordinary individuals who have made been made extraordinary because of who Jesus is, have to be a little bit concerned when the Messiah, the one sent from God, takes the towel from around his waist and he begins to wash the feet. It's a dirty job, number one. It's subservient, right? To wash feet, you, you place yourself lower than somebody else. Don't you think if you were there, that would strike you as a little bit strange? If you really believed who Jesus said he was, And so Peter, if you remember, says, hey, I'm way uncomfortable here, right? If this God in the flesh is, you you will never wash my feet. Remember that? And Jesus says, come on. Not a rhetorical question. And Jesus says, I got to wash you, Peter. You can have no part of me unless I wash you. That's love. Jesus knows Peter's going to deny him three times. Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. And Jesus chooses to wash their feet anyway. Wow. That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. That's the story of faith and faithlessness. That's the story of God and Israel. That's the story of Jesus and me and you. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Are you you quick to say, I can't, but He can, and in fact, He has? That's my prayer for you, that you're not just a religious person. My prayer for you is that you repent of whatever idols you have in your life. There's nothing, nothing, listen, there is nothing in this world that's that's valued enough to be worshipped. Only God should be worshipped sounds easy right remember we still have that heart my prayer is that you've associated your life with the life of Jesus his righteousness if not man I'd love to speak with you today before you leave this place if you have and you realize hey I'm just at the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 I know Jesus I've, I've been baptized I'm a follower of Jesus but I'll just be honest with you I I'm still the Lord of my life. If that's you, man, today's the day. If you'll just shoove, if you'll just repent, if you'll just turn around, if you'll just go back and ask God to heal you, guess what? He will. He will. And you'll have peace like you've never had before. Now, before you do that, let me remind you, when you do go back, when you do acknowledge that you've been wrong when you do recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, now you have responsibility. Let's pray. God, for your word, um, for your love and grace and mercy and compassion, for the gospel, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you love the way you do despite who we are. Uh, I'm grateful that This truly is all about you. And when we attempt to make it about us, I pray that you would uh, forgive us. Help us never to cheapen, devalue the sacrifice that you've made for us. If there's someone here today, God, that has not received Jesus, who's not associated their life with the life of Jesus, his faithfulness, I pray that today's the day. For those of us who think we've got it figured out we we know better than the rest i pray that you would forgive us quickly shake our world do what we need what you need to do Um, help us to respond as you see fit thank you for grace thank you for jesus most of all in christ's name i pray